0: This two part episode with David Farley, who's considered the father of continuous delivery, I'm finding it extremely uh, interesting to hear this journey starting as a systems uh, engineer, visual designer, to uh, building such innovative models of scaling uh, software development as well as uh, creating, uh, you know faster way in which we can develop software, as well as uh, you know, building for, for quality. And he also shares some of the anecdotes um, of his uh, YouTube journey, as well as creating a base uh, for starting his writing journey as well. Listen on. Hi, Dave. Good evening. Thank you for uh, appearing in Software People Stories. I appreciate uh, your time.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. All
0: right. So um, I think uh, for those who don't haven't heard Dave Farley, Dave Farley is considered almost the father of continuous delivery. And uh, I'm sort of a fangirl speaking here. And uh, so if you hear a lot of excitement in my voice, please, uh, <laughs> please apologize, advanced apologies from my side. So like uh, with all our listeners, uh, Dave, uh, how did you get started in software? Um, what what was um, your goal? Early-
1: yeah, I, well, I, I started a very, very long time ago, as you can probably tell by looking at me. <laughs> so I started off, um, <laughs> a- actually, my wife introduced me to my first ever computer and my first ever computer program. So uh, we, we we met very early when we were both quite young and her father worked in a university and one summer holiday, he brought home a, a small computer, it was one of the first generation of home computers, um, a Sinclair ZX81. And we played, with my wife and I played with it, and she she showed me how to write my first program, which was a loop that counted up to 10 and printed it out on the screen. <laughs> and I got interested from there and started writing games. I got into professional development. I couldn't get a job as a professional developer for a while, but I got into professional development... Via um, technical support for a PC manufacturer, uh, and um, and after that, I got interested in building software and doing it for a living, and I've been doing that ever since, really, one way or another.
0: Wow, excellent! And uh, you and I have a ThoughtWorks as a common organization. I know you were working yeah. for multiple organizations even before you joined ThoughtWorks. And uh, yeah. uh, share um, uh, how has that journey being free thought works and how um uh, you know, sure. know so, a so lot so i want to hear all about that as well
1: sure so so so, so i so i i did i did quite a few different things uh, in the early days i spent the early part of my career as i said working for pc manufacturers i i worked i worked first as i said in support and i started I, I was interested in graphical programming so i i started doing a lot of graphics and this was before there were things like presentation graphics or things like powerpoint or keynote to to, to do those sorts of things and so i wrote a program that did that for fun and the company that I was working for liked it a lot and so started using it to demonstrate their computers at, at computer shows. So um, so I started doing more of that. They started to ask me to write more code. And then after that, I got another job writing software in the R&D division for the British version of Apple the, com- the com- company was called apricot <laughs> so, so we were stealing april's fruit-based naming system but we were quite innovative in terms of building systems so i started writing systems software of various kinds security software and operating system extensions uh, BIOSes sometimes um but uh but doing that kind of thing and, and got interested in that while i was there uh, this is when when is this this is late 1980s around that kind of time um while i was there i, I got interested I, I was given a task to build some software that managed the installation of operating systems to order by customers so customers would buy an, a, 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 one of our computers and they might want it with just ms dos installed or windows installed or, or or maybe xenix as it was then uh, an early version of uh, of pc unix um uh, or, or um or, or one of the the uh, the novel um, networking operating server operating systems so they could specify these and they want they were doing this man installing these things manually so um i was i got tasked with automating that for the factory so i built some st- some software and as part of that I got kind of interested in sort of some distributed computing because because we were storing these the the images of these operating systems in different places and so on and and so i got interested in distributed computing and that's been kind of a cornerstone of of my career ever since building those sorts of systems later on um I, i was involved in building reasonably complicated systems distributed systems for different things i worked for, for a company that, that did software in the oil and chemical industries for a while building uh software that managed to um, plan for oil and chemical refineries um and then uh, that was when i decided that i'd had enough of that and started working for ThoughtWorks. so i, I started working for ThoughtWorks in the early 2000s and um At that time, ThoughtWorks was extremely innovative. So so I I was looking for a new job. I I decided that I wanted to move on from where I was. And I thought that Martin Fowler chap talks a lot of sense when he talks about software. I wonder where he works. So so I looked him up, figured out where he works, which is how quite a lot of people joined ThoughtWorks, certainly in my day, um, and and applied to ThoughtWorks uh, and... Um, and got the job, so um, so I started working for ThoughtWorks. Then at that time, I think it's fair to say, and and, and shortly after I joined, um, ThoughtWorks was was extremely innovative in the agile community. We were doing some of the biggest, most complicated agile projects in the world, probably at that time. Certainly, one of the projects that I was involved with we thought of at the time as being the biggest extreme programming project in the world. And it probably was then. Um, and um, by that time in my career, I was reasonably senior. So I was I was involved in a senior capacity in some of these projects. So we were doing some fantastically innovative things and trying to push the boundaries of agile thinking and agile development um, in all sorts of different ways. And, and during my time at ThoughtWorks in London in particular, Um, We came up with the group of people that were there came up with um, mocking, um, BDD, um, uh, continuous delivery, and a whole raft of other ideas that have gone on to have... Fairly significant influence on on our approach and thinking these days. Microservices at the same, you know, the same group of people. So all of these ideas were kind of bubbling around and working with these smart people. So it was a fantastic experience, and I was having a lovely time working working at ThoughtWorks and doing interesting things. And an old friend of mine that I'd worked with before, who who I consider to be one of the best programmers in the world, Martin Thompson, he came along and he said. He said, um, "I've got this project that I think you might be interested in." And I thought that he was trying to sell, get ThoughtWorks to come in, in to come and help it. So I, so I, um, I went to I went out went out to dinner with him to discuss potential ThoughtWorks project. And then he started. He said, "We've got this project, and and we don't know how to we don't know how to how to solve it." And it's world-class project, and it's incredibly hard. I mean, you know, nobody knows how to solve a project like this. We, nobody's done anything quite like this before. And 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 all of the time, he knew exactly the right hot, hot buttons to push for me, because I'm going, ooh, this sounds good. <laughs> and so he kind of ended up saying, and it's possible that we might end up making a lot of money if we're success- successful. And that was the LMAX project, which was um, to build one of the world's highest performance financial exchanges and try and make that sort of technology and trading ability available to anybody on the internet was the original vision for that so i got roped into doing that and two weeks before that i'd had my annual appraisal at thoughtworks with the ceo in the uk and at the time i was saying this is the best job i've had i've been here for five years i can see me being five here five years more and three weeks after that I was going to him and saying um I just had this job offer and I think I'm leaving thoughtworks were wonderful understanding uh, and 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 they when I explained it the way that I did it, uh, so I've always had a very soft spot for thoughtworks has been a, a good company uh, in that respect so I went on the, and, and worked at lmax and led the team at lmax um, as head of software development building this incredibly high-performance, fantastic um, system. At that point, I was in the middle of writing the continuous delivery book with Jess Humble, another thought worker, ex-thought worker now. And and so um, LMAX was like a clean room experiment in what's possible with continuous delivery. So we did everything from the beginning. LMAX became a continuous delivery company. And we did some remarkable and fascinating things during the course of building this ridiculously high-performing system
0: in the two financial sector normally what uh normally said right uh Dave, at least uh the uh, traditional thought processes there's too much compliance there's too much uh you know it's uh yeah it's a lot of uh, rules and regulations so cd will never work that is the normal uh, process right but i mean that's not true as long as you actually uh, i have been from the, in the financial industry for some time it's not as long as you the, you are able to create a credibility that you have tested it, you have automation in place, everything is in place. I think things can go faster. I think LMAX, I believe, I am sure, is a you know a, a super example for that, right? Uh, in terms of how CAC yes. can be implemented in financial sector. Yes,
1: and 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 it was it, it was, I I think it's fair to say that it was it was probably fairly, fairly innovative in in, in, adopt, in approaching regulation like that but but as part Almax you know, was a, you know began as a startup and as a startup we were going through the process of being authorized to be a financial institution where we could we could we could you know host the trading and we were in an unusual situation because not only were we doing that, we were trying to register as an exchange. We were registering as an exchanging that an exchange that was open to the general public via the internet, which is very unusual. Well, probably still, but certainly then. Um, and so we were going through what we were doing, these difficult things in an interesting regulatory environment. And I was kind of leading the team with this very strong continuous delivery mindset thinking well we definitely want to we definitely don't want to be going slow we want to be you know optimizing for fast feedback and we implemented something that's like later we started calling continuous compliance so we, we we approached compliance as just another part of the continuous delivery puzzle so how could we approach compliance regulatory compliance and get an answer yes it's regulatory compliant multiple times per day so we automated all of the compliance in the continue in, in the lmax deployment pipeline any release candidate that made it through the whole pipeline was automatically regulatory compliant it was more difficult for us to break compliance than to to adopt it and that's very unusual in the finance industry and in others
0: <laughs> yeah. as i
1: fancy. i i am now of the belief that it's not actually possible to be truly regulatory compliant in the absence of continuous delivery. I don't. I, I think it's it's a prerequisite to do it properly.
0: See, in the end of the day, compliance means that you have a trail trail of you know where have you checked in, where have you tested. Uh, I mean, uh, and where is your requirement? I think if you can, if you if you automate it, it's all the more reason that it will be easier. I mean, it's a change ticket. Is there a problem ticket, and so on and so forth? I think. Um, it's a fantastic example, uh, LMAX. I didn't realize that LMAX was a exchange uh, uh, in place, uh, Dave. I think, uh, <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, so
1: exactly. so, so, so I, 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 you're absolutely right. But if if you think so, so, the idea of continuous delivery is working so that our software is always in a releasable state, and to do that, we build a deployment pipeline that is the only route to production for our changes. So automatically, as soon as you've got that single channel, that's a route to the only route to production. You're now controlling the information, so it's almost impossible to build a deployment pipeline with having the kind of traceability that you just described the the auditability as a side effect of the deployment pipeline so it's a fantastic tool for regulated industries I, I i spend quite a lot of these days last eight years i've been running my own business working as an independent consultant and these days i spend a fair amount of my time working in different regulated industries helping people to do this kind of thing and um you know, in the absence of continuous delivery, this is a really hard problem. With continuous delivery, it's actually not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Sometimes um, we overcomplicate things in the name of. Uh, yes. we, I know we're all engineers, and we try to overcomplicate things, but it's it, it maybe slightly straightforward. So you spoke about continuous uh, delivery. Uh, Dave, I am um, uh, as engineers, normally writing doesn't come naturally for us. What did you do to develop that? I know you've done several publications, you have your own blog, and all of that. So what made you get started? And uh, I know you have, <laughs> yeah you wrote with Jess Humble, Jess Humble's uh, Adaptive Project Management is all amazing books. So what made you get started in that?
1: Um, I I, I honestly don't really know what really started me writing. I'd written a few small things before Continuous Delivery. Continuous Delivery was my first book, um, and Jezzy's first book. Um, And we were both working, and and we came up, we and other other people in ThoughtWorks came up with this way of working that seemed to be you know the next step of of extreme programming we we, we would be doing projects in it using extreme programming as the engineering practice and we just extended the range of that and you know all the way to production and we were taking we were taking this and it was just a refinement i suppose in many ways on this and it was really working for us we were, we were saying we're really onto something here and I'd written a few little, I'd, I'd written articles for magazines and stuff like that just for fun in the past. Um, and I'd written a, a chapter in a ThoughtWorks anthology book talking about similar kinds of ideas that we'd, that we'd uncovered during the course there. And a the bunch of us said, that you know, we, we're onto something here. This is a really, really good idea. Um, and somebody ought to write about it. So why don't we get together and we'll write a kind of anthology sort of book? And there are about six of us that we're all going to do bits and pieces. So so Dan North was involved, Sam Newman was involved. There's a bunch of people that were involved, and Jez and I. So we we, we, we started writing... Jez and I started writing and nobody else did. <laughs> so we started for a while you know, trying to get other people to do stuff. And, and at some point we realised, you know, I'd written three or four chapters. Jez had written a couple of chapters at that point. And, um, and we said, uh, you know, we're on the way to a book here. We don't need anybody else. So let, and and let's not waste our effort trying to convince everybody else to, to contribute. Let's just focus and we'll do it together. So we, so, so we did that. Um, and one of the things that I discovered for me personally writing the continuous delivery book is how much I enjoy writing because one of the things that's lovely about writing is that it helps you to organize your own thoughts and so it helps you to better understand the topics that you're talking about and these days... I probably think of myself fairly significantly as a writer. So I run a YouTube channel that's fairly popular. That's kind of a writing activity because you're kind of coming up with the scripts and the ideas for that. You know, I, I write books and I've got... I've written a a couple of other books and I've got usually got some sort of writing project on on the way as well. So I do think of myself a little bit as a writer these days. And the reason that I do it is because I like doing it. And I like doing it because it helps me to better understand the things that I'm learning.
0: Wow. I I mean, most uh, engineers, right? find it easier to write code and uh, de- test it and develop it rather than writing it. Because I think uh, uh, some extent uh, it's reflective of our own schooling. Uh, we uh, we sp- don't spend much time in the, in the creative side of it and we end yeah. up spending time. I think uh, it's often, um, you know, hindsight of, you know, not developing that skill of writing it and putting it cogently. Sometimes a presentation, uh, if you have only a few words and a well-presented one, is a lot more impactful than a wordy uh, conversations and everything. it's it comes to just the how nicely are you presenting the ideas and how impactful it is. So thank you for that. Yeah. I think. <laughs>
1: it's my pleasure. one, one of, I, I'm one of my. One of my nerdisms is that I, I, I love science. I, I, I read about science as for recreation and that sort of thing. And there's a fantastic physicist called Richard Feynman. He's dead now, but uh, an ex-Nobel, Pro- well, a Nobel Prize winner and just genius physicist. But one of the things that he was fantastic at was teaching. And one of the reasons that he said that he, he liked teaching so much is because you know once again that's how you better understand the subject. he he's, he's 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 quoted as saying if you can't explain your ideas to somebody that really doesn't you know non-technical that re, you know doesn't you know, to a child even you can't understand explain your ideas to a child you don't really understand the you don't really understand it yet and that's an interesting idea that is so so the, the the idea of trying to be able to synthesize a way of describing something so everybody can understand it is a, is a challenge and something that i like I don't, I don't think i necessarily achieve it but i like to try and you know communicate my ideas without I am a technical person. I'm a, I'm a deeply technical person. I used to write, you know, late, low latency trading systems. That you know, I know how processes work. You know, the, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But you don't you don't explain those ideas by by, by going into the nitty gritty detail all the time. So you you've got to try and synthesize these other ways of understanding things. And I enjoy it's I don't know it's part of how my brain works. I suppose, but I enjoy trying to create those pictures.
0: Yeah, I think um, I really love your uh, reactive uh, manifesto where you speak about, you know, <laughs> resilience. I mean, it's a very simple concept, right? In terms of, you know, what was working for a past is not going to work for us earlier. I think those are things that will, that stays for longer in terms of uh, creating that. Yes. Right? Um, so my next question when when, you, when I often it's a big debate in the software industry in terms of a 10x developer what do you think about it Dave? i think have you are you a 10x developer or have you met somebody who, or is it is it a is, is it a mythical man month kind of a <laughs> what 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 is your view on this i i
1: i i have mixed views about it i, I i'm without being immodest i'm a good software developer you, you know i i, I i'm I'm good at it i can write i can write good software i i can write i can solve problems quickly but i have met, i have met people that are i think probably qualify as 10x developers i've occasionally been called a 10x developer by other people i'm not quite sure i think of myself that way what i think what i think i am and 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 what what i certainly hundred percent believe in is 10x teams um, so 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 definitely Uh, that there are ways of working and where you know you get the right bunch of people together working effectively they can definitely be 10 times more effective probably more certainly more than that I'm nervous of saying that yes it's about 10x developers because I think there's a mythology built up around that that I think is dangerous and wrong because mostly the problems that we face in software development are not solved you don't need 10x developers you just need to stop doing stupid things mostly so 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 that so you know if you are very very occasionally I i haven't met anybody for a few years now three years is the last time that i remember meeting an organization that was wasn't using version control for an important part of software so if you're not yet using version control Catch up to the nineteen eighties, and your your life will be better, if you're not doing continuous integration. Catch up to the nineteen nineties. You know, if you're not doing test driven development, and catch up to to the nineteen nineties. If you're not doing continuous delivery, catch up to the early two thousands. If you're doing these things, they make life easier, and they will make you more productive. They just will. Um, just
0: by and, following those blueprint, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, what interests me more than the 10x developer idea is, um, is what are the things that, what are the principles that underpin all that we do that if we adopt them, they give us a better chance of success. That, they, that we are more likely to succeed, and I think that there are some. I think there are some important principles that, if we follow those, we we rule out the dumb ideas, and then we, we're left to pick from the range of decent ideas. And I think that's a much more interesting problem. There's there's a there's a story from 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 lean manufacturing of um general motors have wanting to adopt lean manufacturing toyota were 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 kicking their backsides in the marketplace at the time being able to produce higher quality cars at at a lower price general motors at the time were were doing a terrible job and they they engaged toyota to teach them how to uh, do lean manufacturing and toyota said okay well you know let's let's take over this plant um in in california and and we'll we'll rehire the people that you fired because they'd closed down the plant because this plant was the worst plant in general motors history the, the the industrial relations between the management in general motors and the people working in this plant were so bad that the people working on the plant were putting coke coke bottles in the doors of the cars so they're sabotaging their own product because they disliked the management so much so so they, they rehired the same people, the people that had been putting Coke bottles in the doors of the cars, taught them how to do you know be a lean approach, gave them more responsibility for their own work, allowed them to fix the own pro- the, the problems that they saw in their own work, and it became the most productive plant in General Motors. That's now what is the Tesla plant where, where they did that, that experiment in California. So it's not the people it's it's not that somebody's not talented enough to be a software developer. It's mostly about the way in which we work and the way in which we organize ourselves. That's much more important. Now having said that, I've been fortunate enough to work with a few of those people that probably certainly most people would would think of as 10x um martin thompson who i mentioned earlier who was the cto at l while i was the head of software development he's one of those people he's brilliant as a software developer i'd have you i'd work with him on on, on any project any time because it's more likely to succeed with martin on it those people are around that, that they are around um, i i you're probably more likely to see succeed with me on your team than, 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 than not you know I'm a decent software developer but that's not the most important thing the most important thing is how we approach and undertake our work and that's and the the, the trouble is is that the 10x thing is partly true (laughs) if it wasn't true at all it would be an easier message but it's partly true but it's not wholly true The, the, the difference between those remarkable people is that whatever it is that you're doing they'll find a way of making it work almost usually by cheating so so water i I have never seen i've worked on quite a few waterfall projects in my time in my long history i've never seen one where the process helped it was always hampered but i've seen successful waterfall projects and the way that they were successful was by the really good people cheating the process and actually doing something that looks more like an iterative yeah yeah yeah
0: uh, I I mean, long before Agile became more mainstream, most of our project used to be like, you know, you finish it in the next one month and then go to the next part of it. I mean, it yeah. was not called Agile, it was called iterative or, uh, or a monthly release or sort yeah. of a thing. Now it is a lot more often than that. You're actually almost uh, releasing daily or uh, <laughs> more often if you're yeah. possible. Uh, I mean, I like the way that you're thinking in terms of, you know, 10, 10x uh, developer rather than focusing on that getting get, get the getting uh, stop doing stupid things and uh, create an ecosystem around the team team, a team makes it 10 times five because i have seen um, as part of a coaching engagement multiple times where i've seen you know teams actually start developing it could be possible that you know you change the cross functional nature of the team one or two people you move mm-hmm. and make it happen i think you, i've seen teams flourish uh, you are bang on in terms of you know that is a more often i have seen than one big developer who's able to just move forward i think that yep. that is my experience as well in terms of high performance teams are more are probably are more visible and more tangible in terms of development
1: there's, um, there's a, uh, I, I, I make an analogy with sports teams and and the sport that I follow most closely is football you, you, uh, Americans call it soccer but but football and I'm from the UK and in the UK there's, you know the Premier League is the you know the, the the principal game there's a few years ago where the team the Lester uh, a, a team that was poorly funded a small team had only just recently come into the, the the Premier League and they won the Premier League it was unheard of. The, the, the value of the team on the market for football players of the whole of the Leicester team was less than one player from one of the big, the other big teams. But they won the league because they were a better team. So the individuals weren't as high-priced or possibly not even as as good, maybe. But as a team, they were a better team. And, and I think there's something important there because build great teams and, and don't just try and hire rockstar developers from somewhere.
0: (laughs) I think that is the crux of uh, software industry in terms of create a nice environment and let them work together. Uh, I mean, uh, if we can make it happen time and again, I think uh, it's, it's, it's it's a true recipe for success in my view. Um, uh, Sometimes I, uh, I have seen you, Comment about uh, you know object oriented programming. Uh, after that, you know functional programming. Lots of new new terms keep coming. Uh, are these fads that are coming in? Uh, I mean, now recently using blockchain, NFT, these new technologies, new aspects come in. What is your perspective of it um, in terms of um, the trends that are coming? In the next episode, uh, in the two part episode with David Farin, you will hear about how. Uh, He imagines software moving forward. And he also shares about his speaking engagements, consulting engagements, and how he balances um, out of uh, building his own understanding of it as well as imparting it.